Those two texts that we read this morning are often texts that we read at funeral services. They are texts that we read in order to comfort those who are still here, who mourn the loss of loved ones. But what do we do if they don't have that comfort? And why don't they have that comfort to some situations? Which brings us to the question that we want to talk about today. If a Christian commits suicide, do they go to hell? Is that what the scripture says? Why is it that we would think that? That we would ask that question? And I begin because there is somewhat of a paradox as we look at that question. A paradox that we wrestle with as Christians. The paradox is this, that as Christians we know that we trust God and His mercy and His many blessings. But it seems that the person who has committed suicide, that Christian, has despaired of those blessings and has given up on that. That is our judgment of the situation based upon the act that has taken place, based upon the fact that they have taken their life. And so the paradox is, is that we look at that situation in that act and we judge then that this is someone who has lost their faith. As I said, that's our judgment. And some of what we're going to look at today, and if you want to investigate it more, there's an excellent book out that is entitled, And She Was a Christian. It was written by Peter Preuss. Some of what I've drawn from today is from that book. It's obviously much more than we can ever encompass in just a few moments here. Many complexities. But I want to tackle it and I want to get to the root and to look at truly what do the scriptures say about this. But first, some history. I think it's important that we look at where this idea came from in history. We know the persecutions that took place in the early church by the Roman government. Those who were martyred for the faith, thrown to lions, burned at the stake, crucified, beheaded, whatever it is. Thousands upon thousands giving up their life for the faith. Well, it became prevalent also in the early church that there would be those who would self-kill themselves rather than be taken by the authorities. What they would do is go into the marketplace and announce and confess that they were Christians and that they followed him, maybe by words of the creed or something else, and then they would kill themselves rather than be tortured, rather than be taken away. But they would make that public profession of their faith before taking their lives. Well, it became so prevalent that about by the 4th century A.D., it had almost become an epidemic rather than be taken away by the authorities. And so the church stepped in in order to stem the tide of what was taking place, to stop this. And it was the church father, Augustine, that wrote and penned the next words that you see on the screen. And he writes this, But this we affirm, this we maintain, this we in every way pronounce to be right, that no man ought to inflict on himself voluntary death. For this is to escape the ills of time by plunging into those of eternity. No man should put an end to this life to obtain that better life we all look for after death. For those who die by their own hand have no better life after death. Well, it did stem the tide. 
What happened was then it became kind of the official doctrine of the church that the sin of suicide was what they called a mortal sin, an unforgivable sin. Those who died by their own hand were to receive no Christian burial. Often their assets were received. And often there were bizarre burial customs of the people that they could not be buried in consecrated ground or had to be buried certain ways to protect the living. That thought, that idea still persists today. It is in the back of the thought of many people. But is it based on Scripture? Well, we know that Scripture does call murder a sin. And self-killing is a form of murder, so it is a sin. But what happened more than just saying that suicide was a sin is that the church then, because of that sin, began to be the interpreter or maybe the determiner of what the person's faith was who took their own life. And really, that's the first thing we are going to look at. What is faith actually drawn from the scriptures and our confessions? It's important that we get back to it. Because in our day and age, in what we would call modern theology, there are a lot of things that make people think that's faith. We need to understand the basics. And so the next slide talks about the nature of faith. And this is what it says. Christian faith is nothing more and nothing less than trust. Trust in Christ as our Savior. Trust in the forgiveness He earned for every sinner. Such faith consists neither purely nor partially of human emotions or intellect. The nature of faith is that it receives the benefit of Christ's redemptive work on the cross. The nature of faith is that it receives. It receives what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's it. That is the nature of our faith. Well then, how does faith save? And we look at the next slide. Faith does not save on account of its nature that it receives, or on account of its attributes or its strength, nor because of its depth of trust, or that it is uncompromising, or on account of how secure it is. Faith saves solely because of what it possesses, Christ and His forgiveness. So it is not by my great faith, my little faith, my intellect, my understanding, any of those things, simply on what faith possesses and receives, Christ and His forgiveness. And then finally, the source of faith. Faith is a gift from God start to finish. It is not generated by an exercise of the will, not initiated by human activity. The Holy Spirit is entirely the one who draws one to faith and preserves one in faith. I lay those down, those fundamentals of faith. Because it's important for us to understand that as we talk about this subject. As we talk about suicide. The complexities that go along with it. But also as the church has judged the faith of someone, we need to go back to those basics and know what faith truly is in these cases. Well, the next slide I want to show you has to do, based on psychologists and studies, on some of the factors that are involved in suicide cases. 
maybe one or more of these is involved as they have studied them, of what's going on in the person. As I said, incredibly complex, incredibly mental illness that goes along with this and depression and all these things. But you see these four things, that they suffer from depression, that they suffer from psychological factors that are affecting their mental ability that they can suffer from accumulated stresses in life that are weighing on them so heavily. Or they can suffer from traumatic events that have taken place in trying to cope with this. And you see that these result in the person in extreme hopelessness of life. The person lacks the necessary equipment to turn off pain because of these factors and because of the weight of this on their mental ability. And so what begins to happen then? Well, we all go through different things like that in life. We have moments that we might be depressed, not clinically, but we're down. We have events that take place, traumatic events and stresses and things like this. And so as we recover, as we don't have this mental illness that prevents us from turning off the pain, we look at others who are suffering from this, who seemingly can't get over it, and we judge that situation and those circumstances. We say that they have given up on their faith, obviously, because they're not coming out of it. And they've lost their faith. They're no longer anchored in what we believe is the hope that they should have and haven't been able to overcome it. And we make those assumptions about their faith rather than looking at the circumstances. And we judge those actions that these people are in and the situations based on wrong assumptions. I say that because we have, in our modern theology, as I mentioned earlier, added some things on to faith to say faith is not just what we looked at in those three slides. Faith is this plus other things, which takes us to the next slide. We'll call them add-ons to faith. These must be in a person of faith, and this is how we judge it, or there must be then in that person no faith. The first is faith plus obedience. Christians will not do certain things. They are obedient to the Word of God. We won't make those things that cause us to lose our faith. We won't murder. We won't steal. We won't commit adultery. And so we judge the situation when someone does these things, when someone maybe is depressed or hopeless, they must not be a Christian because they're doing things that don't agree with the obedience of the Word. That's part of modern theology that says we must be obedient. But the Scriptures say just the opposite. We know that that is not true. The Scriptures say that we sin daily, that we are at the same time always both saint redeemed by Jesus Christ, receiving through faith that gift we have been given, His forgiveness of sins on the cross. But we are also sinners at the same time because we still remain in this body that we have inherited, this body of death, as Paul calls it, that our sin is with us until we lay this mortal body in the ground. There are costs, we know, in our lives to disobedience to the Word. And some of those costs cost us our life. Disobedience, killing yourself, the cost, the price of that, is your life. But it is not necessarily true then that they have also lost their faith by those definitions of what faith is. Well, the second one we look at is faith plus reason. We make 
wrong choices. We come to wrong conclusions. We have wrong deductions that go on. And we look at someone who kills themselves and say those were all wrong choices that they met. And if those choices led to sin, the sin of one's killing themselves, then those choices that that person has made reflect their faith. Well, what that is saying is that my reason and my intellect are greater than my faith. And we look at how we judge those choices and say, obviously, that reason didn't go out, so they failed in their faith. But we must never think that reason is something that is over faith. Reason is there to serve our faith, to help us appreciate our faith of what we have been given. But it does not, as we looked at those slides, create faith. Remember the words that Luther speaks about the creed. I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel and enlightened me with his gifts. Remember what we said, it is the Holy Spirit who creates faith and who preserves faith in us, not our reason, not our intellect. If someone makes a bad choice, it doesn't reflect on their faith. Well, the third one is faith plus self-esteem. And don't we hear this? Because I am in Christ, I am a person who is motivated. I understand that I am valued and loved by God. I know my self-worth. None of those are bad things. But what happens is then we judge a person who is in depression, who is in loneliness, and we say, well, that doesn't fit them with being a Christian. We say, you're not seeing yourself as God sees you. You need to get out of this. You need to fix this situation. And if it persists and the person becomes more depressed, then we say, well, you simply must not have faith because you're not trusting in how much you are valued by God. But we must never think that we are to look at ourselves. Faith looks at one thing as we saw. Faith looks at Christ and His forgiveness, never at ourselves. It's not what I am able to do by myself. It is what is Christ able to do in me. Self-esteem, valuing myself as a redeemed of God, is no indication of my relationship with Christ. My relationship with Christ is outside of those things. It is based in my baptism. It is based in the gift that the Holy Spirit has given me of faith, not in how I look at myself. And then fourthly, faith plus optimism. Don't we hear as Christians that we are to be optimistic people? That we are to look at the circumstances around us and view the future with the word hope. Isn't that what the scriptures tells us? Isn't that what Paul means? That we of all people are to be most pitied if we only have hope for this life, but we have hope in the next life? Christians should, of all things, be hopeful people. And if we come across someone in depression, in loneliness, spiraling downward, who seems to have no hope, then it is our judgment on the situation that they have no faith. Hope. But you know, there are two types of hope that we deal with in life. There is what we call natural hope, 
And there is then Christian hope. And they are very different things. Natural hope is, I would say to somebody, boy, you know, I hope this works out for you in this situation. I hope that you find a job. I hope that you're able to navigate these things. We do that on a day-to-day basis. We run up against something. Maybe it seems like it's not going to be a situation that's going to work out. And the next day comes and we're more hopeful in those things. But Christian hope, the hope that we have been given in faith that binds us to Jesus Christ and His forgiveness is a hope that looks beyond the present to what is, to what we have in Christ. It looks to the future, not the future necessarily here, but the future beyond that. It transcends the circumstances that are going on right now. But in transcending it, it doesn't mean that the circumstances necessarily will change. It is bound up in something beyond the circumstance. It is bound up in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You see, we interpret that as someone becomes hopeless, as they move from hopelessness into despair, that despairing people have given up on God, that there is no faith. But you know, we all worry about things. We have worry in our lives. As Pastor Mark talked about last week, we have fear that comes in our lives. But most of us, because of our mental capacities, because of the blessings that we have in life, can let go of those things. We can see that circumstances will change. We can correct situations. But we need to understand the complexity of what's going on in someone who is clinically depressed, who is suffering from these things. The mentally ill cannot correct these things. They are fixated on the very thing that is turning them and taking them spirally down. They cannot turn it off. They don't have the mental capacity to do that. And what happens then in that despair is that it simply wants an end to the situation that's going on, an end to the pain that they're feeling, and in the desperation that they cannot do anything to change the circumstance, they see the only outcome is ending their life to stop the pain. They can't find a way out. They can lose hope that the situation won't change forever, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have lost hope in God who cares for them. They have lost their faith. They have lost hope in God's grace. What it simply means is the complexities of the illness that they are suffering in prevents them from enacting a change. And so the next slide talks about circumstances. And this is an important quote I want to give you. Faith does not save because it trusts in God to provide in the worst circumstances. We know that God provides. We understand that. Trusting that God will provide in a circumstance that is horrible has nothing to do with faith. Go back to what faith is. It simply clings to Christ and His forgiveness. Faith saves because of the forgiveness of sins obtained through its only object. The only thing that faith looks at is Christ Jesus and His forgiveness. Not at the circumstances, not at the things going around. Remember, in Mark's Gospel, there was a father who came to Jesus, whose son was demon-possessed, who threw himself in the fire many times, and he asked Jesus if he would heal him. Do you remember his response to Jesus when he said to believe? He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You see, what that means is we all struggle 
in this life that we have. We struggle to believe, but we need to go back again to say, it is not our intellect. It is not our will. These things are all outside of us. Faith is a gift that has been given that the Holy Spirit keeps us secure in. And so the last slide I want to look at is what we call in theological terms objective justification. It means this. Objective, it is outside of us. It is done from the outside to us. Justification is that we have been made right before God. We are seen as holy and pure, that we have the forgiveness of sins, not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus Christ, the very thing that faith clings to. And there are five points we need to remember, because often what we say when we look at this situation of somebody who has committed sin, the sin of suicide, and we say they have no faith, we forget these things. That one, Christ died for the sin of the world. All sin, past, present, and whatever will be committed in the future. That that forgiveness is apprehended through faith. This gift that we have received. Gift, what we call grace, number three. It is given to us. It is given by the Holy Spirit. It is not ours. And then this important one. We often look and we say, well, because someone committed suicide, they didn't have the chance to repent or they were sinning at the time of their death. They didn't repent. Repentance is a result of the gift. It is not a prerequisite to the gift. If we say the only way we are forgiven is because we have repented, we have just made repentance a work, we are now the ones who determine whether or not we will be forgiven. That's not what we have been given. Christ died for sin. We repent because of the graciousness of God, and we have been given that gift. Our repentance is simply a result of the apprehension of knowing that enormity of that gift. And then finally, actions and sins do not keep us from heaven. Because if Christ paid for them, they are gone forever. They are wiped out on the cross. Only our rejection of Christ keeps us out. Of saying, I do not want your forgiveness. I do not want what you won for me on the cross. I want nothing to do with you. That is seldom the mental state of someone who commits suicide. They are fixated so much in the depression and the loneliness and the hopelessness. They are looking for hope anywhere. But they haven't given up their faith, that gift of the forgiveness of sins. As I said, they simply want to turn off the pain. And I close with a quote from Peter Preuss as he talks about this at the end of his book. He says this, People spend idle time speculating about what happens when the greatest blessing on earth, our faith, encounters the worst burden. What happens when Christian faith chances upon human hopelessness? Does one or the other have to yield? The answer is no. The paradoxes pertaining to a Christian suicide are resolved in each case when we call to mind the grace of God. We come to terms with the suicide of a loved one when we know what Christ accomplished on the cross for every sinner. He guarantees his grace and salvation to all believers. And nothing can take that away from us. Here are the words that Paul said once again. For I am convinced that neither death 
nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.